You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. We make way for our good buddy Ross Tucker, host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. He works for CBS Sports and Westwood One. What do you make of that uh, report there, Ross? Doesn't shock me, Dan. Uh, You know, I played with Coach Zimmer when I was in Dallas, have a lot of respect for him. Obviously, he was on the defensive side of the ball. I think he's a good coach. I think he's done a nice job in Minnesota. But it does feel like on some level it's run its course. You know, their defense is just simply not good enough. That's his expertise. That's his side of the ball. And, Dan, they have arguably the best receiving tandem in the league. They have a really good back in Cook. Alexander Madison is a stud when he plays. Cousins has played as a top 10 quarterback this year. They can't be five and seven. I mean, I, I don't know how you're five and seven with all of the skill guys I just named. Clearly the defense and the O-line aren't good enough, but we've been saying that for a couple of years now. Yeah, I and I always go back to this, and I say this a lot. Not every assistant coach is meant to be a head coach. That, you know, Belichick is really rare, that, that he doesn't have personality – but he still has that attention to detail. He doesn't win press conferences. You know, Pete Carroll wins a press conference. You know, guys, uh, Sean McVay wins a press conference. But Mike Zimmer doesn't win a press conference, and he doesn't strike me as a guy who is going to lead you to the promised land where you go, I'm going to follow that guy. But if you say, hey, coach the defense, he strikes me as a guy that you want on your staff not to be the head coach. Do you understand where I'm coming from here? Yeah, I do. You know, I will say, you know, they went to the playoffs a lot of years in a row. They've won a decent amount of playoff games, obviously getting that NFC championship game in 2017. I do think he's a head coach. I think he's a good head coach. I don't think he's a great one. And they have not been able to overcome some personnel issues on the defensive side of the ball, the offensive line, but they've tried for like two, three, four years now and at a certain point, you have to say, let's give somebody else a shot. And then you have the Steelers here with uh, the farewell tour of Ben Roethlisberger, if it is the farewell tour of Ben Roethlisberger. That, I don't know what happens if they make the playoffs. Like, does Ben, you know, I guess he's made a decision, according to Adam Schefter. Do you think it's over that Ben is not going to play, no matter what happens the rest of this season? So I'm kind of confused by this, Dan. I, I know there were reports last week that Roethlisberger is privately telling people that it's his last year. I thought we kind of knew this was his last year. You know, when they when they redid his contract, he took less money for this year, all the other years void. I thought we all knew it was his last year. Like, I thought that was the deal. They signed Mason Rudolph to a one-year extension through 2022. I didn't really think last week's news was actually news. I thought we all knew this was Big Ben's last dance, last chance, and that that's the way it always was going to be. And the way it's played out this year, it should be his last year. But do you see them – I don't think his successors on that roster. No, I think that they have Mason Rudolph extended for one year as sort of the floor for what they can have. Uh, worst case scenario for them right now, it's Rudolph and Haskins potentially battling out for that spot if they're not able to get some other veteran or anybody in the draft. 
you know, they're not going to draft high enough to get, you know, one of the two or three guys that people seem to like, although nobody's in love or enamored with any of these guys. It'd be ironic if they had Kenny Pickett just stay in the exact same stadium. Obviously, every Steelers fan I know here in Pennsylvania is like, oh, we're getting Russell Wilson, dude, or Aaron Rodgers. Every, you know, <laughs> it's so funny, Dan, whether it's college football and like the Notre Dame alums or Oklahoma fans or the NFL, everybody has an overinflated sense of the worth of their team or their school. Like the Steelers fans around here, they're just like, yeah, I mean, it depends on who we want, whether it's <laughs> Russell or Rodgers. Like in their mind, all of these guys want to play for the Steelers because of the Steelers. I don't really think that's the case. Uh, I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll make the call and see if those guys would want to play in Pittsburgh, but I don't think it's as open and shut as Steelers fans seem to think it is. Just like Oklahoma Notre Dame fans can't fathom the idea that a coach would leave their school to go to another college football program. If you were an offensive lineman for Pitt and Kenny Pickett decided he didn't want to play in the Peach Bowl, how would you feel? I think I would understand it. I would be disappointed uh, if, you know, he wasn't going to play because obviously he makes a huge difference in whether or not you win. You've had an enjoyable season. It's the first time Pitt's been in a big bowl game in a while. I think I would be disappointed, but ultimately understand it. I, I think it's interesting. I used to work with Ed McCaffrey, Dan, on the radio, and he told me, Remember, Christian McCaffrey was the first guy to skip a bowl game, right? The first guy. And Ed said something really interesting to me, that when they kind of laid out the pros and cons, Christian McCaffrey actually talked to his teammates. He said, hey, look, I'm supposedly a top 10 pick. You know, I could play in the Sun Bowl in El Paso, Texas, which sounds funny now, um, and play with you guys. But if I get hurt, like what happened to Jalen Smith in the Fiesta Bowl, you never know. And what Ed said to me, what I thought was really interesting, his teammates were all like, you better not play. You'd be an absolute moron if you play with us in the Sun Bowl. <laughs> so I think guys are at the point now where they kind of understand a little bit more. It does feel weird for whatever reason when it's a quarterback and it's a guy that's led a program like Pitt to a place they haven't been in a while. If he was at Alabama or Georgia and played a different position – we wouldn't even think twice about it. The reaction's been interesting, though. In the last 24 hours, you know, Vegas, you know, took it from a three-and-a-half-point spread down to a pick em. Uh, You know, just the reaction of people that you got to play in a bowl game or you shouldn't play in a bowl game or he has every right to sit out if he wants to. Plus, I wonder, when he was on the show yesterday, if the reaction is going to almost force him to play. That, that, you know, like, how can you do, you know, if he's on the fence, I wonder if all this criticism makes him go. And I don't know if he's even not playing in the bowl game. I just got a sense, and that's why I asked him the question. Yeah, so uh, two things on that. Number one, I do think people look at the quarterback position a little bit differently from a leadership standpoint, and I wonder how that will be looked at by some NFL teams. I don't think many, but there might be a few that don't love it. Number one. Number two, 
Next time, Dan, you're going to ask him a question like that. Can you have Fritzy or somebody text me before the line moves by three and a half <laughs> points? That would really be a good one for me to get the heads up on, okay. you know, um, before Vegas does. You know what, Fritzy, would you write that down next time I ask a question that could affect the, uh, this, the betting line? So noted. Let, you know, let uh, Ross know. The Eagles quarterbacking situation, I find it interesting. Now, maybe it's not that interesting, but Gardner Minshew, to me, can play. He's a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is a better weapon, and there's a difference in that. But I don't know if there's any quarterback controversy in Philadelphia, a team you know very well. Right. Yeah, I do their pregame, and I, I spend a lot of time on, on WIP there in Philadelphia. The first thing is, how is it possible, Dan, that none of these other teams traded a six-round pick? I agree. For Gardner Minshew. I mean, the Eagles had Hurts. They had Flacco. They traded a six-round pick for Minshew to be the third. We got guys like Tim Boyle starting NFL games for the Detroit Lions, yeah. and nobody wanted to give more than that for Minshew. Now, I personally don't think there's any controversy regarding who starts the next game. Hertz has been on a steady progression. He's played well overall. The Giants game was his worst game, and that's the last time out, so he has to play better. What I find really interesting, though, is what this means for Nick Sirianni, the first-year head coach. What happens if Hertz struggles in the next game against Washington? I mean, they have four games left. If they go 3-1 and one or better, they're going to the playoffs. This creates an interesting dilemma for Sirianni. If Hurts struggles like he did against the Giants, does he give him the whole game? Does he give him the first series of the third quarter? Does he? I mean, it's not about, in my mind, who starts the next game. It's how quick of a hook does Hurts have if he performs poorly? We're talking to Ross Tucker, host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, and he'll be on the call for Army-Navy. That'll be on Westwood One this Saturday, and that'll be at uh, 3 Eastern. You're sixth army navy game Does that sound right favorite day of the year yep i did three on the sideline with uh james lofton and mayock in the booth and then this will be my third time in the booth dan my single favorite day of the year um you know it's funny i'm from near philadelphia and that's where the games usually played and people said my whole upbringing you got to go to army navy got to go to army navy it's, and i was always kind of like yeah yeah i'm sure it's great but like i i you know i was a penn state fan whatever I had no idea. The thing I tell people is it's a bucket list item and that if, you know, we obviously live in a pretty divisive society. We all know that it's polarizing. There's not a, a whole light, a, a lot of respect between certain people. If you want to have a day where you just feel like we're all on the same team, we're all in this together and feel better about our country, the Army-Navy game, that's where it's at, man. You, you go in that stadium and you're just like, huh, like we're going to be okay. Because even though they're trying to kill each other on the field, everybody in that stadium knows we're ultimately on the same team. We're ultimately in this together. I would like if our country could get back to that, remembering like we're not political parties, like we're all Americans, we're all in this together. That'd be nice. Yeah, it's emotional. It, it, it is. It's emotional. Every, anytime I've gone to West Point and even now thinking about it, when those cadets come in and you realize we talk about, boy, this game is life and death. No, they they're in a game that's life and death. You know, this is fun for them. 
Army Navy is really important, but their bigger picture is, you know, they move on to something that is truly life and death. And when you see them come in, it's it's as if you you put everything to the side and it's a it's a wonderful moment. And I'm envious you know, of you. Uh, you you're going to be there this Saturday. Yeah, Dan, I, you just describing that just gave me chills because the thing is inside the stadium, it's a lot of alums. It's parents, and obviously it's all the midshipmen and the cadets. Everybody in there has sacrificed on some level, right? Even if it's a family member that goes in the service, they miss a lot of holidays. They they miss a lot. Everybody in there, in one way, shape, or form, has sacrificed for the rest of us to be able to do what we can do. And I'm in awe of the 18-year-old's that sign up for nine years, from 18 to 27 at a minimum, they're going to live a different life than the rest of us live. Can't thank any of them enough. Um, and I, I, I tell everybody, anytime you see a serviceman or woman, say thank you. It's, uh, it's incredible. Thank you, buddy. Great to talk to you. Have fun this weekend. Thank you. Take care. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Dan Patrick Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Tom Tolbert knows about losing basketball. I I don't know how else to make this segue, Tom. Uh, The Warriors Radio Network analyst, former NBA player. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Good morning, Dan. I don't know that much about losing basketball. I didn't play that much with you, did I? No. No. No, No, I, I didn't. You got me. Not not really. What's the biggest win of your NBA career? Just to let this audience know the substance of your career. Do preseason game count? (laughs) (laughs) I got you with nine. You had nine postseason wins, I think. Just trust me. I had no postseason wins. (laughs) I I was present for those postseason wins. I guess when we were uh, seven seed, we beat the – the Spurs with Robinson and Terry Cummings. That was a, a Rod Strickland, a Sean Elliott. That was a really good basketball team, and we took them down. And then we got smacked by the Lakers the the next round. But I don't know. I mean, I guess if somebody were to ask me what's my biggest basketball win, it'd be North Carolina uh, when I was at Arizona to get to the get to the Sweet Sixteen. But as far as the NBA uh, goes, I don't really have any like memorable postseason victories so I'm, I, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint i was uh, there at that final four game when it was oklahoma and arizona yeah that wasn't as pleasant a memory dan i know but that was <laughs> that game was 50 to 49 at halftime does that sound right you know i think no i think that was the finals game that was the kansas game that was high octane uh, our game was a little lower, uh, still higher scoring, but the thing I remember about that game is just how many pros yeah. were on the court at the same time. We had Sean Elliott, Steve Kerr, Anthony Cook, uh, Judd Bushler, myself, Harvey Grant, Stacy King, Mookie Blaylock. And I mean, it was just, it was an incredible, incredible game. Uh, and they got the better of us, uh, Billy Tubbs, damn Billy Tubbs. Mookie Blaylock was great back then. I used to call him Pearl Jam, to be honest with you, before. Oh, you, anyway, you called him Pearl Jam before. Yeah. 
Okay. Right. No, but it, man, it sounds good now. I mean, if I said it, no one would. No one would. I don't know if anybody would call me on it, but anyway, they don't. They don't even care. Hell, they don't even know who the hell I am, let alone what I'm saying. All right. You've been calling games for a while. You've been there, you know, for Steph Curry's entire career. When yep. when Golden State drafted Steph Curry, the local reaction was what? Uh. Yeah, I mean, I think they liked the pick. And no one knew what was coming. I don't think he knew what was coming. But really good shooter. Uh, just came off an incredible NCAA run. So people knew who he was, had a shooter. And that was about it. Just, a, you know, a, a solid player. Uh, drafted number seven uh, overall. But no no one knew that, you know, Minnesota gaffed as bad as they, they did. We all should have guessed because it's Minnesota after all. And uh, it, I, I always say that Minnesota should get some of the the Warriors championship hardware wow. because they they are – they are as responsible for the Warriors being good as the Warriors are for the Warriors being good. So, yeah, good player, maybe an all-star, something like that, but not one of the not one of the all-timers. But if you look at what Golden State has done, that's why I have so much respect for, you know, their drafting because, you know, when you took Klay Thompson, I didn't know if he was a big moment guy. I knew he could shoot. Draymond mm-hmm. Green, I got to see him play, he just looked like an agitator. I didn't know that he could develop into what he's developed into. I mean, that's the nucleus. I mean, that's the the brilliance of what they've been able to do. And I don't know if anybody thought any of those players was going to be a Hall of Famer, uh, maybe let alone an all-star. Well, I don't think anybody knew that Clay would be as good a two-way player as he was. I mean, he wasn't known for defense at Washington State. He was a scorer, a shooter. And people thought, well, that's what we're getting. We're getting a, a shooter. And he could definitely shoot. You're talking about the best shooting backcourt in the history of the NBA. But no one knew he could be an incredible defensive player. Draymond Green, very versatile. No one knew he could be defensive player of the year. And I think with Draymond, the thing with him was he got in shape. A couple of years into the league, he decided, you know, I'm going to make the commitment to get in shape. And then he then he was able to unlock everything his body could do. Now he can go and, you know, he can do all the things that everybody thought he could do at Michigan State. Because remember, his body was much different at Michigan State. And he's just – he may be one of the smartest basketball players I've ever hmm. seen in a basketball court. He just understands what's happening before it happens, where most players have to react – He's already ahead of the he's already ahead of the game by a couple seconds, so he sees what's coming and defensively he's just brilliant. I thought it was interesting in telling that people actually thought, hey, Steph Curry could make sixteen three pointers last night, and I went, I don't think so. But be it'd be the greatest shooting night of all time. But the fact that people thought that he could do it tells you a whole lot about Steph Curry. What did you think? Yeah. What, what were your expectations last night? That he wasn't going to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's 48 points right up the rip. And that's an incredible game when you start talking about, you know, you're probably going to have close to 60 points if you make 16. But it's Steph. So I said, nah, let's give him a 1% chance of doing it. Because 16 three-pointers. Now, he may do it at some point during his career. But it'll be one of those natural, organic things where they're playing a good team. He plays the whole game, and he just gets hot and then keeps it going. I mean, 16 three-pointers on demand is just absurd to go in and think, I can just go ahead and drop 16 pointers because I'm Steph. But because he's Steph, you almost had to leave open the possibility of, well, maybe if he makes four or five in the first quarter, because we've seen him do that before where he's you know, made three, four, five in a, in a quarter – 
Well, then maybe he could uh, he could do something like that. But yeah, sixteen sixteen is just ridiculous. To be honest, I'm pretty sure I didn't make sixteen three pointers in my career, let alone in one game. Yeah, I think Clay Thompson would be the guy that I would look at instead of Steph to make sixteen three pointers. We're talking to Tom Tolbert, the uh, Warriors radio network analyst. I got you twenty nine three pointers made. Did I make twenty nine? I think. Look at that. Over seven years, you made 29 three-pointers. <laughs> Firing them up there for a year. You shot 30%. Yes, yeah, that's really nothing to be proud of, Dan. You were kind of a West Coast Larry Bird, weren't you? Uh, what West Coast are we talking about? <laughs> the, the Eddie, Eddie Bird. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, not Larry yeah. Bird. Eddie yeah, Bird. Yeah, I'd, I'd hate to disparage an entire region. <laughs> how, how does this Golden State team match up with the Lakers? Uh, oh, very well. I mean, I think this team matches up well with anybody uh, because they're really good. The funny thing about Golden State is you think of Steph and you think of Clay and you think of the Splash Brothers and firing threes. They're the number one team in the league defensively. So that's when they won back in 2015, I said this team reminds me of that team because of the depth they have, the wing depth they have, and their defensive ability. Back in 2015, they're the number one team in the league defensively and offensively, and this year they're number one team defensively. So they're going to match up well with anybody just because of their ability to stretch the court, uh, Steph's ability to distort a defense. And really they can rely, like last night, they didn't have their best stuff offensively, but they can always rely on their defense. Their defense is the backbone of that team. When is Clay expected back to play? Probably January, I would think. A couple weeks into January, they want to make sure his stamina is good and that he's able to uh, to go because that's when you get hurt. You go out there and you get tired and you push it a little bit uh, more than you should. So I think they just taking him and bringing him along slowly. He's playing down in Santa Cruz to practice and kind of get ready, but they don't really need him right now. It's not like, hey, we're kind of slipping, so we need to get him back. No, they're in great position, so they're going to take their time with him. But my guess would be first, second week of January. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's me, three-time Pro Bowler LeVar Arrington, and I couldn't be more excited to announce a new podcast called Up On Game. What is Up On Game, you ask? Along with my fellow Pro Bowler, TJ Hushmanzada, and Super Bowl champion, yep, that's right, Plexico Burris. You can only name a show with that type of talent on it, Up On Game. We're going to be sharing our real-life experiences loaded with teachable moments. Listen to Up On Game with me, LeVar Arrington, TJ Hushmanzada, and Plexico Burris on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Do you have a uh, Michael Jordan story? Oh, man. I mean, (laughs) well, I will tell you this. We're in Chicago, and we're playing the Bulls when I was with Orlando, and we ended up beating the Bulls that game. And they actually showed it. It's my my friends always call me. Hey, hey, they're showing the old uh, the Bulls game on, uh, on on NBA TV. And it was the one where Shaq had like twenty nine points, twenty six rebounds. And so I think at the end of the first or midway through the first quarter, something like that, he had twelve points 
and I had ten points, and I thought, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> we're going to we're going to go at it here, toe to toe. Well, he kind of left me just a little bit. He scored sixty three that game, <laughs> and <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't quite keep up with him. But the amazing thing about Jordan is. So you're playing the game. You're not really concentrating on what anybody else is doing. I mean, you're focused on – I'm focused on keeping Horace Grant off the boards, making sure I'm taking care of my defensive responsibilities there, and just trying to win a basketball game. But he was so good that at the end of the game, I think he had yeah, 63, and it seemed like he had 30. Like he, I knew it was hot, and I knew he was scoring. But you look up at the end of the game, and 63 points is an incredible amount of points. But for Jordan, it just didn't seem – completely out of the ordinary and i'll be honest with you i think he could average 40 in today's game i really do you can't hand check anymore so you get touch fouls you know there's nobody there to defend the rim anymore i mean back then there used to be a whole bunch of rim protectors now you know there's a few rim protectors but not a lot of rim protectors i think he would just absolutely destroy nba defenses right now and he'd probably end up getting a three-point shot too which you really wouldn't need but need to get one because that's the way everybody plays nowadays i think people forget sometimes how great this guy was and to score 35 38 points a game back then when defenses were physical and they were bigger and they could hand check it's it's pretty stunning how good he was uh he scored so many points you forgot how many he scored i got him i got him at 64 oh was it 64 yeah Damn. Yeah, see, I never had that problem. I, I never, I could, it was easy for me to you, keep track. You had 14. So he got you by 50. He outscored you by 50. You know what? That's actually not bad. I felt, <laughs> I felt pretty good about that. I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> but he's, uh, he's, I mean, he just, uh, it's, it's hard to describe. Like, it's pretty cool now to say you played against Bird and Magic and, and, and Michael and some of the greatest players to ever play. Uh, the game. At least with Michael, I didn't have to be as close to him as I did to Bird because I didn't get to hear the uh, the smack talking. I actually had to guard Bird, and that was it. Was just a disaster. You know, I'll, I'll give you a great Bird story. We're at the uh, opening tip, and we're lined up. You know how guys just shake hands. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Blah 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 blah. So you know, me and Molly walk out there, Chris Mullen, and he goes and says hi to Bird. What's up? And I go sailor, and he looks at me. And looks back at Chris and looks at me and looks back at Chris. And he said, are you really going to guard me with a white guy? <laughs> and I told him, I said, yeah, I'm just trying to make a living, man. You come in, can you just, you know, easy, just, just, just settle down. <laughs> yeah, but you, you locked him down, didn't you? Yep, 33. Okay. That's not bad. 30, 30, Got his jersey 30, number. 33, and I think he had something like that anyway. You, you know, you, you might catch me. I might be off the point again. Yeah. But he had, he had like 10 against Phoenix. He was having a bad road trip. He had like a, 14 against Seattle, 10 against Phoenix. <laughs> and, of course, it didn't really speak much for my defensive abilities. i gotta, I got to be honest with you. But then nothing really spoke for my defensive abilities. Keep your head up, all right? I'm going to try, Dan. That's how I uh, – and i got to ask you real quick. Has anybody ever brought this up? So the show, the DP show, comes through on the – on the caller ID, and as soon as I saw that, I go, whew, it's a good thing my wife didn't see that when I answered. She might have had some questions that I couldn't answer. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. <laughs> see you, Dan. Bye. Tom Tolbert, the Warriors Radio Network analyst, former NBA player.